0: Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. One John, and we're looking at part five, chapter five this morning. And I do want to say a few things before we actually get into the text. And uh, I want to look at it under four, is it four sections this morning? Uh, five sections, we'll break the chapter up, and I like to break it up so that it's bite-sized chunks, but I do need to recap, and I want to start by reading a quote by A.W. Tozer, because he talks about the value of studying the books of the Bible, not just topics, and we do topics, and topics are helpful, but he says here, the word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Isn't that the truth? And so what we're doing today is extremely valuable, even though it's on a Sunday morning. Normally Bible study type things happen during the week. But this is an extremely important thing we're doing. And the reason I chose one, John... Is because John was one of the key disciples, one of the three, Peter, James, and John, always mentioned in the first three, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote five books in the New Testament. He took up quite a chunk the book of John and the book of Revelation, two major chunks of scripture revealing the heart and mind and the love of God, and then three letters, two of them to individuals, quite short. And then this one to the churches of Asia Minor. And John in AD 95, AD 100 was an old man, one of the last surviving disciples. And he saw the trend in the church was shifting and he was very concerned. And so decided to write and address what he called heresy or or, or the drifting away of people. And the first thing we look at again, and I need to remind you, try and remember it, is something called docetism, which we are seeing today the man called Cerinthus developed this doctrine in the church, and he said, God is good and perfect, matter and earth and humans are evil, so God could never come down and live in the human body, He, he wasn't in Jesus, Jesus was just a good guy, he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then at the cross the Holy Spirit left him, and so this good teacher came, did some good stuff, and then he just died a normal man, that's not actually true, Jesus was the third person of the Trinity and that's fundamental to our faith and this doctrine is being taught by some churches today. They say Jesus is just like you and uh, he was just a man of faith and if you have faith you can do what Jesus did. How many of you know you're not the son of God neither am I? If we could we would let people rise up and walk we put eyes in the blind and we'd see real miracles not not legs growing. Tired of hearing about legs growing. You can't see. You know if someone walks into church like this and then they walk out normal, then their leg grew. but When your leg grew an inch, and then you don't have a little pain in your back, it's a little bit spurious. Anyway, docetism. The danger of docetism is that because God is good and man is evil, they say that no matter what you do in your body, in your physical body, your appetites, your sexuality, that doesn't matter as long as your spirit's saved, because God loves you. And we're hearing that today, God loves you, He's paid for your past, your present, and your future sins, and no matter what you do, God loves you. And the church has gone over the line, and we're even seeing senior, strong Christians falling into sin, because what you believe is how you will live. So very important book in that sense. And then secondly, Gnosticism. The word gnosis in the Greek, knowledge, special knowledge, they believed that there they were planes. There were certain Christians, and there were certain Christians. And if you had special knowledge and special understanding, then you lived above other people. And that divided the church because you had pride and you had inferiority. And that's why the book constantly talks about love. It's not the word eros. It's not love is love it is the unconditional love that we have for one another and for family and the humility that we have amongst each other. And so John wrote to address those things, He told us not to be deceived by the world, told us to test the spirits, he told us not to be drawn away, he told us not to sin and ignore sin, but to repent and to draw near to God. And we looked at the three kinds of graces. Do you remember that? There's common grace. Everyone lives under common grace, you don't have to be a Christian. You can be successful in your job. You can plant crops and they'll grow. You can build a house. You can do all kinds of things under the common goodness of God. doesn't mean you're saved. There's something called saving grace where you believe. And then when you believe, your life gets transformed because now you become a child of God. You come out from under common grace into saving grace. But if you don't walk right with God, your feet get dirty. Then you end up needing refreshing grace. Where if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Forgive me for doing the long introduction, but some people have not been there and it is worth repeating. So today we're going to look, but before we do, I want to read this quote by Howard Hendricks, just making us aware again of what we're doing today. He says, God wants to communicate with you in the 21st century. He wrote his message in a book. He asks you to come and study that book for three compelling reasons. It's essential for growth, it's essential for maturity, it's essential for equipping you, training you, so that you might be an available, clean, sharp instrument in his hands to accomplish his purposes. We are not just getting information today, we are being trained to live out as the family of God in the earth. So let's look at this book under five headings today as we study it, and the first section I'll mention the title and then we'll read a few verses here. There are 21 verses in this chapter. And the first thing is obedience because of our love. John speaks about the importance of us being obedient, but we do it because of our love for God and also our love for the church. If you're making notes, the word commands comes up three times. The word love comes up four times. And the word overcomes comes up three times. So these are things to note. Whenever you study a passage, I suggest when you're reading your Bible, always look for a word that's recurring. Then the tendency will not to get into error. You'll see the context. Are you with me? And uh, that's the best way to study the scriptures. I love teaching you how to interpret the Bible. If you go to our college, you'll see there's a, a course on it because it's not me telling you how to study your Bible. I'm giving you the principles. You can study it for yourself. So that leads to maturity and not error and not heresy or manipulation as in the cults. So let's read from 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. And he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. You can't say I love God, but I'm not interested in Jesus. It's just not possible. This is how we know. Why does he use the term we know? Because of Gnosticism. They said they had special knowledge. He's saying, no, no, this is how you know. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So it's the test, again, of a mature Christian. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments. You can't say you love God and then you do what you like. And his commandments are not burdensome. Just pause for a moment. I'll keep that on the screen. How many of you know the only time you think commandments or rules or regulations are burdensome is when you're a child? Do I have to? When you mature, you know, this is for the good of my life and for the good of the family. And that's how Christians ought to behave. And so he says here, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. It's thinking, it's values, it's system. This is the victory that has, past tense, overcome the world, even our faith. Because we believe in Jesus, we don't succumb and believe in this world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so serving God should be a joy. We should be obedient because of our love for God and our love for the church. Amen? We're not going to be obedient because we have to, or maybe we won't get to heaven. No, that's not a reason. You do it because it pleases God. And listen, when you obey God and you please Him, then it brings joy to Him and it brings joy to you. The psalmist in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, always remember those two about the Word of God. Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. They're not a pain. Amen? Psalm 119 verse 47, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love. Can you see that? That I may meditate on your decrees. Jump out of verse 97, for I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 127, because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. God's commands are good. Why? Because they benefit you. They don't detract. You can always believe, well, if I can't do this, I won't be happy. By the way, God's design for you is not just for you to be happy. His number one design for you is to be holy. Let me say this right now. I won't say it later, but I'll say it now because I feel I'm in the flow of it. Your marriage is number one not to make you happy. So suck it up, baby. No, seriously, I'm so tired of people saying I deserve to be happy. Who told you that? That's why you make vows in sickness and in health. Why do you think you're saying that? Because it's just part of a whole ceremony. No, because trouble cometh exceedingly quicketh. And you've got to learn, I didn't do this to make me happy. In fact, if I'm happy occasionally, it's 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 a blessing. Your marriage is not to make you happy. Listen to me. This is important. We're going to talk about this at a family conference. It's to make you holy. Think of your partner. Your partner is there to make you holy. That's why they tell you, hey, don't do that. Your colleagues at work, they're just like, he's an idiot. When they go for a smoke break, can you believe that idiot? But your wife or your husband tells you straight. They're there to make you holy, not make you happy. So if you're single and lonely, thank God there's no one telling you. Because that's the other drawback of being married. You are there together by God's divine design to perfect each other. And the church is the same. God uses us in connect groups and together to make us more holy, to grow us in faith, not just to make us happy. So here's the thing. Let me get back to the point. The commands are good because they make us better. And when we get them, it's like, yes, this is good for me. This changes my life. A man called Max Anders is a Christian author. He said this. He said, God's commandments not only reflect His holiness, they promote our happiness. Because when we obey God, then a joy comes into our lives. And we rise above the world when we honor God, when we serve Him. And he says, you, you overcome the world when you put your faith in Jesus. You obey God. And you love him, and as a result, you rise above the things of this world, the values of this world, the decay of this world. Let's read the next section, assurance because of our faith. And the scripture here assures us that we are saved, and uh, we we belong to God, and we'll see something interesting in this passage, I'll get to it straight away, from verses 6 to 13 now we'll read. Are you all good? Wonderful to hear voices, eh? Let me say that again. Are you all good? Man. You know, I noticed this morning, when I came into the lounge, I could smell stuff. Smell the coffee. Smell people's perfume. Before it was like... Anyway, let's read. (laughs) Verse 6. Now, notice this is interesting. And when you read this as a Christian, you're like, what? What does this mean? He says, this is the one, speaking of Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth, or the Spirit tells the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Let's just keep it up on the screen. Let's just pause there. Do you know that in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, if someone was going to be put to death, it could only be done on the testimony of two or three witnesses. One person's accusation, was not good enough to put someone to death. There had to be three witnesses that agreed. If you go to 1 Timothy, chapter 5, Paul says, don't entertain an accusation against a leader or an elder or a pastor except by two or three witnesses. Otherwise, every person in the church with some grievance about what you said or what you did could nail you, and it wouldn't help the family of God. Are you with me? It's not that sin is permissible. It's just that there needs to be a certain level. Now, the Lord is saying, if you believe the testimony of men, what about when God says something? When God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When He comes, and He's baptized in water, and the voice from heaven comes, and then the Spirit, it says in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, talks about the Spirit confirming it. He says, if God says, this is His Son, and you Listen to men, you ought to pay attention. This is not just some religious leader that appeared. God said it was the third person of the Trinity, and God's testimony is greater than men. You with me? Very important here. And uh, I'll, I'll unpack it in a moment. He says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Now, here's a radical statement which most people don't like. Whoever has the Son, Has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Exclusive. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance because of our faith. When we believe in who God says Jesus is, we have the Son, we receive salvation before we die. And we know that we know, we don't need special knowledge like the, like the Greeks, special revelation. We know that we know that we're going to heaven. And you need to hold on to that because everything in life will attack that, even sometimes your own family. And we need to believe this. It's not to separate people, it's to assure you that God's only son gets the preeminence. See, a lot of people say that's exclusive. It's almost like hate speech. It excludes people. You know, we live in such a politically correct world. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's making Jesus who he is exclusively and not reducing him to be among the prophets and among the general population. And you see the word believe in there. It's that assurance that you get by believing and trusting in Jesus that you have him and he lives in your life. And here the important thing, talking about the water, the blood, and the uh, spirit. The people who originated, Serinthus, who originated docetism, they said Jesus was a normal man. Then when he got to 30, he went into the water, and at the water of baptism, because people were baptized in those days, and they turned from, this. and, Jesus received the Holy Spirit, and then he functioned, remember I said that, and then he died. John's saying, no, 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 he didn't just come by water. He came by blood, and his blood is the thing that was shed on the cross, and that blood is holy blood because he was born of the seed of God, not not of the seed of man, and then the Spirit testified at his baptism, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit testified to his works, so this guy isn't just someone at at the baptism who was turned on and then turned off, this is God's only son, the Spirit said so, the blood, he was in the blood, his blood cleanses you and he was baptized, and God spoke, are you with me, when you read this otherwise, you're like, what does this mean, he's attacking, or or defending the faith, and saying Jesus is the son of God, and if you believe that, you have him, and you are saved, remember my point here is assurance of salvation, we can know, I remember when I first got saved, and I went home, and I told my mother, I got saved, I am saved, Like she looked at me like, you're not dead yet, how do you know, you can only know when you get to the pearly gates and Peter says, let me see if you're on the list. Mm, they scratched your name out. Sorry. And you kind of imagine that it's... No, he says, if you have the Son, you have life. And you need to hold on to that. Even in the midst of your failings, that's why you need to know saving grace. And if you slip up, come back with refreshing grace. Because he that has the Son has life. He that has not the sun has not life. And you'll notice the exclusivity... Of that verse, you see, Jesus said this in, uh, in in John's Gospel. He said, "I am the way, the truth, the life." He didn't say, "I am a way." I am the way. John chapter fourteen, verse six. So Jesus is not suggesting that if you're just good and you're kind and you're a nice Christian and you do good works, you'll end up in heaven. You've got to know Him and have the assurance that His blood cleansed you, and you are fully trusting in Him alone then you'll get to heaven. You can be the greatest humanitarian. You can give away as much money as Bill Gates. You still won't end up in heaven. You say, "What well, the people who are stingy, they're stingy Christians. And look what Bill Gates has done for the world. God is not interested in humanitarianism. He's interested in salvation through his son. And then you do good stuff. You can't have the cart before the horse. You first got to have salvation. Then out of salvation flows good works. And there's no exceptions, it's exclusive. And I love the fact that you can have the sun. I want to ask you this morning: do you have the sun? Do you know that you have the sun? And in every service, when we close, we have an opportunity where you can pray, where you can put your faith in Jesus, and you can walk out of the building, walk out of the building and say, I have the son. Because I prayed a prayer faith. Amazing thing, eh? Powerful thing number three, the third thing here, and I hope you 're enjoying just unpacking this we 're doing it quite simply actually because of the time, confidence because of Christ, so obedience because of love, assurance because we trust him, we can know we saved now we have confidence because of Christ, because of who Jesus is, and because we saved. We now have a confidence, it's not a vague hope, there's no maybes or, or, or you know, there's certainties, definites, the promises of God, and we have an absolute confidence in God. Reading here from 1 John 5 verse 14 and 15, just two verses in this section, he says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, notice those words, we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, notice again, we know that we have what we asked of him. Can you see now, because you have the son, you have confidence. If you don't have the son, well, I hope the man upstairs remembers me. COVID's been really tough, you know, someone must be up there. No, no, that's a vagueness. We have the Son, and as a result of having the Son, we have the Father, and then when we pray, it's like, yes, and we can talk to God, and we can pray for anything, and we can ask according to His will, and if we say, God, you know, I'm trusting You to to, to improve my life, to to heal me, to take me beyond in my business, to improve my marriage, to to, to grant me grace, to give me victory over the habits in my life, you pray that, that's God's will because He wants you to improve, grow, and become holy. You can know that he hears you. Notice it doesn't say, if you pray, you'll get it. It says he hears. Before you get your answer, you need to remember God hears. It's not pray, and then there's... No, you pray, and he hears. It's done, it's settled. Then every now and again, I just sort of remind you, Lord... Are you with me? Now, one of the things about prayer is very simple. We complicate it. We turn it into gnosis, special knowledge. You've got to pray like this. You've got to pray like that. You've got to do this. And there's a trend in the world today. It's an actual heresy. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to say some of my friends are preaching it. It's called the decree and declare doctrine based on Psalm 2, that you can decree things and declare it. And when you watch those videos, they're like impressive. Yeah. But guess what? Guess who makes decrees and who declares? It's only kings. And according to Psalm 2, it's the Son of God who decrees and declares. Kings decree and declare, not their subjects. Imagine the kings in the castle and you go up there and I decree and declare. Off with his head. (laughs) We live under the authority of the king and we talk to the king and he decrees and declares. So don't act all silly and start thinking you can talk and speak things into being, that is like a new age doctrine. We pray to the Father because we have the Son, and we have a total confidence, so we didn't resort to all weird stuff. We can be assured He hears us. It's a wonderful thing. God hears you. Hmm? William Cowper, he was a great hymn writer uh, in the 1800s, and he said how happy it is to believe with a steadfast assurance That our petitions are heard even while we are making them. And how delightful to meet with a proof of it in the effectual and actual grant of them. See, he's saying, it's wonderful to know that you heard. But then when the actual answer comes, that's even more awesome. I think we need to pray always remembering God's listening. God's listening. God's listening. listening. Don't don't shoot it up into the empty sky. Well, I hope, Lord. It's not going into the clouds. We have this assurance and this confidence that we are in Him. And that if He hears us, in good time, He will answer us and He will act. And we don't have to demand. We can just rely on His sovereign will. Amen? Amen. Christianity is quite simple, actually. Number four, the fourth thing we're going to look at quickly is prayer because of concern. And so we pray for ourselves and our needs, but now he's talking about us being part of the church, and I'll spend a bit of time here if I've got, I've got 10 minutes left, but I, this, this is a very important section, number five will be quick, but this is a very important section, prayer because of concern, and from verse 16 to verse 18, he says here, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life, are you all with me? We've been told that we can pray for ourselves, but we're, in the, we're a part of the body of Christ. So you don't just pray for yourself. You've got to pray for others too. And he says there's a sin that does not lead to death. If you see the person commit that sin, pray for them. If you're in a connect group, you could maybe talk to them and God will open a door for a relationship. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Then he says, all wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. That means he doesn't willingly or habitually just do it without thinking. Those who are born of God don't want to sin. The one who is born of God, that's Jesus, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. So here's what he's saying. He's saying not all sin is the same and he's saying that sin actually damages you and destroys you. All sin, he says, all wrongdoing is sin. It's all bad, but if you walk in Jesus, he will keep you from sin that leads to death. Now, I've heard pastors, when approached on difficult topics like homosexuality, they will say, oh, we don't harp on that, you know. They they, they don't want to be called out, or they don't want to be courageous, and speak the truth of the Bible, and they say, you know, we don't talk about gossip, and, and we don't talk about things like that, and churches like ours, you mention homosexuality, or when asked about it, mention it, we get called out on it, because it's like, why are you raising that when the people in your church who gossip? Well, not all sin is the same, and you can't just put them all together, because gossip doesn't lead to death, might lead to the death of someone's reputation, but it doesn't cause spiritual death in you, it damages you, damages your life, damages the way you behave, it destroys love, but sexual sin is on a different level altogether, and the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, there's certain things you do that will lead not only to your spiritual death, but to your physical death, now let me just remind you, you remember in the Old Testament, Nadab and Abihu, they offered up false fire, and the Bible says the Lord struck them down. You remember Achan? He kept, uh, when they went into the land of Canaan and they invaded uh, Jericho, the Lord said you must leave all the first fruits, like the tithes. They belong to the Lord. The first city is the Lord's. All the other cities are yours. But Achan took the gold and he hid it away. And the Bible says he was selected out and he was stoned. God caused him to be killed. Uzzah touched the ark of God. and you God told you don't touch the ark. It's holy and ordinary people can't touch it. And he was struck down. So people died because of sin. You remember the uh, Korah and his followers? The Bible says they rebelled against Moses with over 200 followers. They were struck down dead. So there's sin and disobedience and rebellion that can actually lead to death. Now you're probably telling me in your mind, you know, yeah, well, that's Old Testament. We're all under grace. Oh, New Testament. And let me start at the difficult one. Ananias and Sapphira. They brought money into the house of God. Listen. No one compelled them, they didn't have to sell their field, they didn't have to bring the money to the Lord, they brought it and they lied. So they pretended to be committed when they weren't. They were struck down dead. So there is sin that leads to death. Are you with me? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11, and this is important because people tell you today, no matter what you do, God loves you. It's actually not true. God will not allow things in His church because if you allow death in the church, it leads to death of other people. So God will rather remove you than let you decay the body. I mean, you know, if one of your aunties or uncles dies or your granny dies, you don't keep her in the lounge. Sorry to use such a vivid example. That decay will cause your whole family to die. No, you get your your granny or your uncle or aunt removed and you have them buried correctly so that we can carry on living without disease. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says you go to communion, you take the bread and the wafer, you acknowledge that Jesus died, but you don't acknowledge each other, and many are weak and sick, and many have fallen asleep, meaning have died. Are you with me? So certain sins in your life are more serious than others, and you can't just put them in a blanket to excuse yourself. Now, what about people that commit adultery, you know? Yeah, what about people that commit adultery? We go to them. We say, hey, what are you doing you're not married to that person. They're still married. Well, you guys aren't married. We address it. And here's the thing about adultery. Can I just say this? The thing about adultery is you don't have to beat people or press people. They know it's wrong. Whereas with other sins, we're trying to make them right. Because we're allowing the world to overcome us instead of doing what the Son says. Are you with me? Now, let me read this to you because it's important here. 1 Corinthians. And, and, and before I read it, Warren Wesby says this, "If a believer does not judge, confess, and forsake sin, God must chasten him. The process is described in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 13, which suggests that a person who does not subject himself to the Father will not live, Hebrews 12 and verse 9. In other words, first God spanks his rebellious children, and if they do not yield to his will, he may remove them from the world, lest their disobedience leads others astray and bring further disgrace to his name. Now, some sin is more serious than others. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, notice the context here. Are you all with me? i to do this quickly. For you, you say, this is common opinion, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, that's what God designed this for. All I'm doing is I'm filling what he made. Now, there's a certain point where you've got to stop. <laughs> if we keep saying that, we'll become balloons. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, even though it functions like that, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So in other words, before we go further, your body is not just yours. It's actually the Lord's. Then it's yours. When you say it's my body, you talk like a woman who says, you've done away with abortion, but it's my right, no, it's not your right, your right is over your body, that body inside your body is actually the Lord's, I'm amazed how people justify abortion, it's it's mind-boggling if you're a Christian who knows the Bible, it's just unbelievable, but he says here, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also, so we're going to be glorified one day, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Notice that word, strongly, never. Do you not know that one unites himself with a prostitute, becomes one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. So sex is not just like greeting one another and shaking hands. It's mingling of body, soul, and spirit. He says whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Then he says, flee from sexual immorality. In other words, sexual sin that God doesn't permit. Uh, All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Remember the temple was a very holy place. Uzzah touched the ark and he was struck down. He says, your body's like that. And he says, you were bought at a price, Jesus' blood. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, see what they're saying is, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, this thing works, and all I'm doing is doing what comes naturally, you can't, God has parameters for appetites, if you keep eating, and eating, and eating, you will die from eating, a lot of people are going to the grave by the fork, come on, and then they look at other people, you mustn't smoke, no, because we don't understand, this thing is to honor God, And that's what we go, we can't just live for pleasure. And when you do, it can lead to spiritual death, even physical death. That's why we're so strong on what God requires, not because we're bigoted or because we want to point other people out, but because the Bible is very clear that you can't just do what you like in your body as long as your spirit is saved. And churches that have gone that route don't know the scriptures. Think of prostitution here for a moment. Forgive me for using it, but it's in the scriptures a prostitute, she's happy to do it, she makes a living, she's decided, this is what I'll do, he, he has a need, maybe he's a single guy, maybe his wife's not looking after him, and he pays me, and it's mutually enjoyable, and then after a couple of minutes, he's gone, and I've got money, it works, stomach for food, and food for the stomach, he says, no, don't think because it's functionally suitable, that God accepts it, are you with me, and so that's where we get our basis from. Our bodies are for the Lord, and we honor God with our bodies. Number five, and I'll quickly do this in 56 seconds. Salvation through revelation. <laughs> Give me a minute to two. you. Salvation through revelation. We don't get saved through information. You get saved when you get revelation. Billy Graham says, if you're ignorant of God's word you will always be ignorant of God's will. You've got to know God's word, and when you know it, not just informationally, and you get a revelation, that's when you get saved and people get changed. We were watching a video last night. I won't mention who it was, but the man said he was invited to church, and in church, as he sat, the guy was preaching. What was he preaching? Preaching on the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, they were like us. They were going through the Bible. Romans chapter 7, he didn't know Jesus. He was stuck in some serious sin. And as he sat in the meeting listening to her, he said, This guy's speaking to me. This Bible is speaking to me. Everything he's saying is to me. And at the end, the presence of God filled him and he got saved. That is salvation through revelation, not salvation through if you're here today and I know there's one more person and I'm taking another five minutes, but if you. Now, that's, that's salvation through manipulation. Sometimes, I've been in altar calls where people take 15 minutes. Eventually, the person says, I want to go home. <laughs> I'll raise my hand. Let me out. <laughs> now, salvation through revelation is before the altar call. Today, I know that I need Jesus. Would you want to raise your hand? The hand goes up. And we need salvation. Listen to me. The reason I'm saying this is because we are not a religion that we're trying to force on people. This is not Scientology where we've got to make converts and, and convince them. This is something you get when you find the Son of God. You get revelation. I know that I know that I have the Son. Now let me read it you quickly and we'll wrap up in just a moment. He says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We don't have time to read that. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 talks about that. John 14 talks about it. We know also that the Son of God, you see the words we know? That the Son of God has come and given us understanding, revelation, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. Can you see this is salvation's assurance and the confidence. Then he says, He is the true God and eternal life. And then the book ends, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Why does he say that? When you read that last verse, it's almost like, Idols? Because we think of idols, our TV, our car, our house. You know what he's saying? He's saying those things, don't worship those things and don't make a God of those things. But what he's saying is we don't listen to alternatives. Any alternative to Jesus, any religious leader, that's an alternative to Jesus. Any religion that you make up in your head or create for yourself, however suitable it helps you, it is an idol because it's in the place of the true and living God who has made his son known. And when you know his son, you know the truth, and it'll keep you away from false beliefs and false idols. We've come to the end. I've come to the end of my time. But here's the thing that I want to summarize quickly, if you're making notes. This book basically says this, God is light, God is life, and God is love. summarize the book, God is light, he's righteous. God is uh, uh, um, life, he gives life, his son gives life. And then God is love. And if we are in him, we should walk in light, not darkness. We should walk in life and believe that we have eternal life and then walk in love. Not only love for God, but love for believers around us. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.